0: This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Obesity is far from just a cosmetic concern, it's becoming one of our most serious public health problems, and it's estimated to affect over 95 million adults in the United States and the percent of the population considered obese continues to climb. Obesity is a problem for both adults and youth, and unless we're able to figure out a way to turn things around, we'll have numerous obesity-related health problems in our future patients. Today's topic is obesity and how to manage our overweight patients. With us today is Dr. Maria colazo Clavel, an expert in the management of of obesity in the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes, Metabolism and Nutrition at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Maria, welcome.
1: Well, thank you, it's my pleasure to be here.
0: Well, I'll start out with a real easy question. Why is it so easy to put on weight and so difficult to take it off?
1: It's easy, but it's so hard to answer. Essentially, our genetics haven't changed But what has really changed is our environment is very easy and we have easy access to high calorie, great tasting foods and is very easy not to be active. So actually one of the biggest risk factors to gaining weight is inactivity. And as our kind of life stages progress, we tend to become You know, less active. In high school, there are all these sports. Mm -hmm. You know, then we go to college and then we're kind of studying a lot. We're not doing organized sports anymore. And unless people establish those habits of being active, you know, they gain those few pounds and then, you know, life takes over. And if you have a very sedentary job. So it's actually very easy. And often patients say, I'm not going to the buffet every day. And I tell them, I believe you, you don't have to. But unfortunately, we're so sedentary that that's probably the biggest risk Mm -hmm. factor uh, for uh, continuing to gain weight.
0: I imagine that our dietary habits don't really change much throughout our lifetime. But uh, in most cases, I imagine our activity level does go down as we get older.
1: It does. And actually, it's very frustrating for patients because the most common uh, thing that I hear is that, I'm really not eating that different of anything. I'm trying to do better with my eating. I'm getting rid of pop and they're making all these positive changes uh, to their eating habits, but they're not seeing the results that they're hoping for, whether it's weight loss. And often people forget that activity factor because um, obviously what we consume uh, is an important component, but how much we burn it's another critical component. Um, So if you're just very sedentary and you're not burning as many calories as uh, desired, then you're not going to see the results that you're hoping for when it comes to your weight.
0: Well, in addition to our exercise level, does our basic or basal metabolic rate decrease as we get older as well?
1: Yeah, there are many factors that definitely affect uh, metabolic rate. Obviously, our genetics. uh, You know, some people just innately have uh, higher metabolic rates. Uh, Things like our height. You know, I always wish I was a few inches taller so I could eat a little bit more. Uh, Our gender uh, or sex. And yes, as we get older, um, our metabolic rates do drop. Uh, So if we don't stay physically active, um, the tendency will be to gain weight as we get older.
0: I don't think of myself as overweight. I think of myself as under tall.
1: <laughs> Same here. <laughs> I think
0: I need to be about uh, 10 foot 8 <laughs> to account for my weight. But We hear a lot about obesity in children. How are we going to prevent this from happening and uh, address this issue?
1: Yeah, definitely it's a challenge because uh, the concern with obesity in children, um, adolescents, and young adults is that they're going to be exposed to the health risk of excess weight for a lot longer. So their risk is a diagnosis of something like diabetes a, a decade earlier or two decades earlier than we did you know, 25 years ago um, and all the complications that come with that. Um, so it's definitely a concern. There have been some... Um, Headway made, particularly in uh, children, but it all comes down to that healthy lifestyle. Uh, I don't want to really feel, uh, make children or young adults feel like they're unhealthy because they're overweight. And I think we have to be very careful about that, of labeling somebody unhealthy because of a particular BMI or percentile in the, We really need to focus on the basics. You know, um, we know about screen time and all these things. How challenging is that to limit screen time in today's world? But it does have to, we do have to put in that effort because those are the behaviors that hopefully over time become established and um, hopefully will help our patients be more healthy.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, as I think about the patients that I see day after day, so many of them are overweight. Mm -hmm. And if you look at their health problems, you know, uh, high blood pressure, hypercholesterolemia, uh, GE reflux, sleep apnea. They may have four health problems, but they're all directly related to their weight. And I stress the importance of if you can take care of this one problem, these other four are going to get better on their own. Mm. But how do we address patients effectively who need Mm. to deal with weight loss?
1: Yeah, and that's very challenging because obviously we struggled with that for the past several decades. We haven't made much way uh, headway uh, in adults. Um, but I really, when I see patients, I really try to get a sense of what are their goals because often patients already know okay, I wanna lose weight because I wanna feel better and I want that for them too, but little, really we should have a more concrete conversation about health goals. Um, do I want pre- to prevent diabetes? Uh, do I want to, most people will say, I wanna live longer and be more active and see my grandkids. Um, and you know, those are health benefits that we can achieve even with modest weight loss. Um, So I think bringing in that health goal will help both physicians and patients recognize that they don't need to lose 60 pounds to prevent diabetes. They don't have to lose 60 pounds to feel better if they're being more active so i really uh we've been focusing more and more on kind of that motivational interviewing what really motivates your patients because it doesn't matter what the doctor says if your patient is unable to implement and really kind of going back to health and not just pounds yes we need to accomplish a certain number of pounds lost but really what's that health motivator for the patient um and try to build upon that Mm -hmm. Uh, people are often surprised Again, it doesn't take that much weight loss to protect them from developing diabetes. And that's a huge health benefit, protecting somebody from developing diabetes. So I think the starting point has to be more patient guided. You know, what are their interests? What are their health goals? And I'm often surprised how many times when I ask that question of a patient, they're like flabbergasted. They're like, I just want to lose weight because I want to feel better. But what aspects of your health do you feel are making you feel unwell, and uh, and that really gets people thinking, and then you can have a concrete conversation about, okay, how do we help you achieve that?
0: Mm-hmm. Do you know if there's evidence that suggests involvement of a dietitian in weight loss management is more effective than just the healthcare provider themselves giving the recommendations?
1: You know, there are actually older studies that have looked at both uh, what's called kind of the traditional model of the dietician versus just the physician and a combination of the two. And, And the combination of the two is actually the most helpful. But if you look at those older studies, there are two key aspects there. One is that patients do want to hear from their physicians, um, you know, what it's okay for them to do. Sometimes they all have reservations about, is it okay for me to follow this diet, which touches on all the confusing information that's out there about uh, diets. So I think that physician input is important. However, in today's world, it's really hard for a physician to keep patients engaged because they have their own demands in, in practice. And often patients have questions that can be easily answered with by a dietitian, there are more dietary questions. Um, so, so I think the challenge that we face, but we, we can achieve, is that combination of, yes, physician initiates this, but who provides the ongoing support and the engagement uh, to the patient? It could be a dietitian in many programs. They're behavioral psychologists, sometimes they're coaches. Uh, but patient engagement becomes uh, very important because things can go great and fall apart in three to six months. Mm-hmm. So how do we keep that from happening? And I think we've put too much focus on um, that physician interaction when there's challenges in doing that. It's not that physicians don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just that unfortunately it hasn't worked. So we have to look at different models of doing that.
0: Well, I know the traditional thinking is that weight gain occurs when calories in exceed mm-hmm. calories burned. And you could theoretically lose weight by diet or by exercise. I assume both is best, but is one more important? Is exercise more important than diet or diet more important than exercise and losing weight?
1: You know, that's a great question because that leads to a lot of confusion. And it, and it's very interesting that if you look at all the literature that has looked at any kind of weight loss intervention, whether it's just a diet, whether it's just working with behavioral psychologists and doing a very intensive lifestyle, whether it's bariatric surgery, uh, which is a very aggressive treatment option. Um, the key component that leads to weight loss is calorie restriction. Uh, people have to exercise a lot to be able to lose weight because that is. Um, what is it? That mile you walk on, you walked on the treadmill that maybe helped you burn 100 calories. It could be a regular soft drink. So it's very easy to overconsume calories when you're exercising. So dietary change, uh, creating a calorie restriction, is really the key to weight loss. If people are exercising while they're dieting, while well, or happen, what will happen is that they will lose more weight for their effort because they're cutting back calories or exercising more. But what we know with exercise is that it's actually the key predictor of keeping weight off after a weight loss effort. So it's actually more important for your patient to be more active six months from the first time you visit it than have them have a perfect exercise program for a week or two and then abandon it six months later. Um, So Kevin Hall, who's an investigator from the NIH, actually looked at this. People who had successfully lost weight and then looked... Uh, followed them up six years later uh, to see who had kept the weight off and who had regained, and and he separated those uh, groups into who had regained, who had uh, maintained the weight, and actually the key predictor for keeping the weight off was physical activity. That group of individuals was a lot more physically active um, than the ones that didn't keep it off. So I feel this information is helpful as we try to guide patients You know, sometimes they try to do too much activity, they get injured. You know, the key idea is how do we help people gradually be more active? Because it's really more critical to keep the weight off Mm -hmm. later on. This is Dr. Sharon Hayes. Join me and other leaders at the upcoming Equity and Inclusion in Healthcare Conference, hosted October 25th and 26th, right here in Rochester, Minnesota course highlights include evidence-based processes to identify and address bias, roundtable discussions and experiential workshops, and development of new skills to increase the recruitment, retention, promotion, and development of talent within diverse workforce populations and our patient populations. For more information, visit ce.mayo.edu slash equity 2019.
0: I see patients who have more difficulty maintaining their lost mm-hmm. weight than actually losing mm-hmm. it. I've had a lot of patients successful in losing weight by a variety of methods, but uh, well, you look at them two, three years later, they're back at where they used to be. And
1: unfortunately, that's what the literature shows. And and, and a couple of things that we, have, that we know more about today than we did, let's say, 10, 15 years ago are those factors that contribute to weight regain. There's definitely... An adaptation to weight loss that occurs that makes it harder for our patients to adhere to that lower calorie amount that their bodies now need because there is a drop in metabolic rate with weight loss. And right now, uh, what we have available to help our patients counteract, that is physical activity. So that's why it is so important for people to gradually be more active. And um, there are also changes that make it more difficult for people to feel satisfied with that meal that was perfectly fine a month into a weight loss program, six months, a year into it, that meal is no longer satisfying. And this is a very a physiologic process with changes in gut hormones. And now we have some medications that can help our patients um, kind of target some of that hunger or just decrease satiety is what we call it. Just not feeling satisfied mm-hmm. with that meal. So it's very real.
0: I think some of the fad diets that seem to be popular for about three or four years mm-hmm. promote the effect of weight loss, and they're often effective, but because they're so unusual, people can't stay on those kind of diets. And uh, when patients ask me about them, I say they they will likely let you lose weight, but you can't stay on that diet forever, and you're yeah. going to have to learn how to eat again to maintain that weight.
1: And And that's exactly right. I mean, whatever changes you make, you have to be able to adhere to um so the biggest challenge is for people to kind of manage that aspect of things um i'm in the and the group of providers that i feel um you can be successful as long as you're creating calorie restriction, eating anything. Actually, that's mm-hmm. what the studies uh, suggest, unless you have a health condition that, that has a restriction. But it's finding that balance, what satisfies me, but still allows me to maintain my goals. Now, wherever my patient is willing to start with dietary change, I'm willing to start with them. But I agree with you, over time, you know, we have to kind of then uh, help our patients make those decisions. Okay, they can't completely go off it
0: yeah it's it's very much like alcoholism mm-hmm. except with alcohol abuse you, you can stop you can't stop eating so it's like an alcoholic saying, we can have a little bit but you can't have uh, as much as you're used to having
1: and and I hear i I hear that a lot from patients you know if this was this if this was that I could just stop but but we have to recognize how challenging that is uh, for individuals right. to do um and sometimes I think um, Two things that I see in medicine um, that I hope uh, we can change is one, not recognize when people are putting efforts. You know, when their weight trends are down, are down, and and, and minimizing that. Okay, okay, you've lost. Okay, you've only lost ten pounds. You know, that takes effort. Mm-hmm. They don't disappear. Um, so I, I hope that providers kind of. Uh, acknowledge when patients are making changes and see that as an opportunity for them to help that patient on. Like when you were mentioning that patient who loses and plateaus, you know, for me the key question there is, what are you doing activity wise? And if you're not doing much, then that's the time to start. Um, if you're doing some, then you know what else can you do? Because again, at that time is the critical time more so than than exercising to lose weight, right. for example.
0: Little while ago, you mentioned medication use. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where are we at with medications? I know everybody's looking for the magic pill that will let them lose weight, but we're probably not quite there. But where are we at?
1: Correct. We have several options of medications that are approved by the FDA. Um, The Nice things about these newer medicines is that they actually have a physiologic understanding of how they help patients. Um, uh, You can imagine that hunger or satiety are pretty complex at the level of the brain, and many of these medications are actually trying to target um, those processes. Like any medicine, uh, there are good things about them. There are bad things about them. So when we consider prescribing them, uh, I typically look for the person who's already instituted some efforts you know either they're at least weight stable or they're trending downward I always ask if they're struggling with hunger or just not feeling satisfied because again that person may benefit from a medication but when it comes to choice a lot of issues come up um, drug drug interactions many of these medications are combinations um, obviously side effects and all that Um, we're not so sophisticated where we can say this is the right medicine for you Um, But what we know is that if people are going to respond to a medication, they should respond within 12 weeks, meaning if you see a patient back and they're not losing weight on that medicine, that's not the right medicine for them. And then you try to move on to another option. So if people haven't responded early on, they're unlikely to respond six months, a year after it. The biggest challenge with these medicines is still how costly they are and getting them approved, and they all require some degree of prior authorization. So it does take an extra effort um, for the medical provider. We actually do involve our patients in that process, you know, find out what's covered for you and try to avoid some of the too much back and forth. Study the medicine. Um, Uh, Because I feel that decision is a very important decision and definitely you want to choose patients who are already doing the basics. They're not going to do well if they're not doing the basics um, in order to optimize the most of that treatment.
0: Let's finish up with procedures for obesity, bariatric surgery or bariatric procedures. When should we consider referring a patient for consideration of a bariatric procedure?
1: So the current criteria really haven't changed much in the past uh, 20 years, but what we have learned about bariatric surgery is definitely uh, the benefits that are associated with it. There are risks, but bariatric surgery is really quite safe compared to other operations that we do routinely. Um, And my hope is that we try to identify individuals that might benefit earlier. Um, One group of individuals, uh, the patient with type 2 diabetes, um, bariatric surgery can really change the course of that disease when it comes to helping our patients achieve remission of type 2 diabetes. Um, Same can be said with obstructive sleep apnea. So my hope is that people become... Uh, less leery of bariatric surgery. It's not that every patient should have bariatric surgery, but I'm hoping that uh, providers become more comfortable in bringing up that um, that topic, um, especially if they identify individuals who, despite their efforts, they're not losing the amount of weight uh, that they need to to have a significant impact on things like diabetes. Mm-hmm. And we do try to be very concrete about identifying health conditions because, again, People will say, I want to feel better. Well, you know, that varies quite a bit. So we try to be very concrete based on the data with our patients about what is the weight loss that we expect, what are the aspects of your health that would get better, what are the things that we have to watch out for.
0: What are the more popular procedures that we're using now for bariatric surgery?
1: So the one that has certainly uh, been around the longest is the Ruin-Y gastric bypass, and that has actually was the number one uh, Performed procedure until the recent years when it has been surpassed by the sleeve gastrectomy. They both vary uh, when it comes to their mechanisms of promoting weight loss. The sleeve gastrectomy is mainly restrictive. The en Y has both a restrictive and kind of a mild digestion, not significant malabsorption component to it. Weight losses differ. Um, But, you know, again, assessing the patient as to what might be the best procedure for them um, becomes kind of an important part of their assessment and their preparation.
0: Okay. Finally, if you had to give two or three points to summarize our discussion to our audience, what would you tell them?
1: I would say, number one, um, to not be fearful about um, asking your patients if they feel comfortable discussing weight. uh, to try to uh, get to know what the patient's health goals are, as you're trying to motivate them um, to lose weight, and and use the tools that you have available, whether it's resources like dietitians, whether learning more about medications, whether it's referral. Um, really, the foundation of any weight loss program is lifestyle changes, but for many of our patients, that may not be enough for them to achieve the weight loss that they need to to truly improve aspects of their health.
0: We've been discussing obesity and its management with Dr. Maria Colazzo Clavel, an endocrinologist at Mayo Clinic. Maria, thank you so much for stopping by and sharing your expertise with us.
1: It was my pleasure and it was fun.
0: If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.